Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Today, we welcome Brittany Nicole Connor Savado, author of The EQ Deficiency. She's the region's foremost authority on emotional intelligence and human behavior and lives her purpose as a catalyst for change. Brittany earned degrees in education and psychology, a certification as neuro-linguistic program practitioner and a heart math trainer. As credentialed and respected people whisperer, Brittany Nicole specializes in working one-on-one with high-achieving male entrepreneurs to help them discover a life of fulfillment, balance, and confidence that success alone cannot satisfy. In addition, she partners with executives and their teams to solve their people problems that are holding them back from innovation and people-centered success. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yay, so excited to have you. Thank you for coming back from the mountains to be with us. Okay, so EQ is going to be heavily involved in this conversation. We usually ask our guests to tell us, you know, what's on your heart? What, what is uh, something you'd like to talk about? And we had a quick discussion before we hit record. And Brittany Nicole gave us this amazing story that probably a lot of us will be familiar with. Maybe we'll just turn it over to you and you can give us a quick recap of what happened. And then we'll just delve into where that takes us. Yeah, sure. Thanks. So first off, I have to say that when it comes to social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, I have a very difficult time being the person that other people want me to be. And I honestly refuse to be that because if I'm truly going to be authentic, then I want to present my authentic self. I don't want to push myself to say or do or act any way that isn't true to who I am. So many people talk about being authentic and being genuine. It loses its value and true meaning because everybody is just throwing that out there. Kind of like they throw out the term emotional intelligence. It becomes a buzzword and people use it just like gratitude, right? So when I was on LinkedIn the other day, I genuinely reached out to someone, an ideal prospect for my business. He met my demographic And before I develop a program for that demographic, I really want to know what are your pain points? What are you struggling with? He asked, why are you reaching out? And I was honest with him. I said, you meet my exact demographic. So I was hoping you could answer a few questions so I can identify key pain points for male entrepreneurs. And he replied back saying, nice hook. I'm not interested in what you're selling me. And it infuriated me. I just was like, you don't even know me. Like you're implying that I'm trying to sell you something and you don't even know, like I'm trying to be genuine here. And so that really upset me. I started thinking about it more and more and more. I'm like, you know, I really can't be upset with him. Yes, he was making an accusation that wasn't true, but why was he doing that? So I was trying to apply my emotional intelligence to really empathize with him and understand where he's coming from. That's kind of what I wanted to talk about today because I feel like in our society, once we find something that works, that helps sell our product or our service, we latch on to it. 
And so we start to do that thing that works until it doesn't work anymore. So we may present this authentic behavior or we may have this catchy message that works and then people start to catch on. It's causing us not to trust each other. It's causing us to disconnect. And it scares me because what does the future look like? If we present an authentic self that really isn't authentic, it's like a veneer. And I think we have veneers for many things. I don't know where you want to roll with that. We could go so many different places, but that really is what's on top of mind for me today. Well, let's start with, since you described the situation so well and you labeled your emotional experience, I was infuriated. That's how I felt it. I wonder if you could start with a demonstration of inemotional intelligence. Clearly, it doesn't mean even when we're well-practiced, it doesn't mean we get emotional. Generally, what it means is we have the skill set to identify, regulate, and then do something impactful, logical with that emotional information. So I wonder if you could describe for our listeners, what was your first signal of what you were feeling, the thinking you attached to it and how you went about regulating yourself? Yeah. Initially, I took it as a personal attack. You are calling me a liar. You are saying that I am trying to sell you something when I am clearly not. Instantly, my defenses started to rise. And that is when I started to feel infuriated because I could not tell that person face to face, no, I'm not trying to sell you on anything. And even if I did tell that person that face to face, what is the chances that they would actually believe that I wasn't trying to sell them something? They would probably say, yeah, I caught you. Of course, you're going to say that you weren't trying to sell me something. So the fact that I couldn't convince them also led to that feeling of being infuriated. And then I took some time to think, well, it's doing me no good to be in this state because I'm just going to dwell on it. What is the need that needs to be met behind that emotion? Because I tell all of my clients behind every unpleasant or uncomfortable emotion, there's an unmet need that needs to be addressed. And for me, that was to present an authentic self that people accepted and that wasn't happening. Obviously, I can't get that from him, but I can present that to other people saying, this is a problem, whether that's me doing a blog, whether it's me doing a video that says, hey guys, when we start to reach out to people like this and they catch on that we're not being authentic, this is what happens. So that way I can share my message with other people. And that kind of alleviates that frustration for me. We have a whole spectrum of emotions, whether we're emotionally intelligent or not. And like you said, Teresa, so many people think, oh, well, you only have pleasant emotions whenever you're emotionally intelligent. No, you just know how to manage them and regulate them. And so after I processed that and empathized with him and looked at the deeper problem, I was able to move past that. Marvelous. Thank you. First of all, Something tells me that he wouldn't have been a great help for your question there. So probably no. didn't do anything there. Yeah. secondly, probably wasn't quite, wouldn't have been a good working relationship anyway. So the thing that interests me is because you described the scene and you went, da, 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 this is what happened. And it infuriated me. That's pretty much almost as high as you can go. And that there's a lot of stages of anger and, and hatred, whatever. Um, my question is, what is it in your thinking that time or your history or what is it that you 
your authenticity something that's been challenged before yeah. is there some kind of reason why you went straight to the top rather than just oh this guy's a dick why is he doing that let's go yeah. on to the next yeah. one <laughs> mm-hmm. no that's true and you're right the reason that it got to me I have been that way since I was a kid I've always tried to be the person to convince others to see where I'm coming from and I was also a kid that was I wouldn't say harshly bullied but I did have some bullying. People would make up rumors about me when I was in grade school that weren't true. And that would infuriate me because it's like, that's not who I am. Stop saying I am this or that, but I couldn't convince them. And so I I do think that that pulled from pre-existing experiences for sure. And Dr. Susan Davis, her work is around emotional agility. She's got a great TED talk. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that she talks about quite a bit is the connection between our emotional experiences and our values. So every time we're emotionally triggered, generally, that's a signpost to one of our values appearing. So would it be fair to say then that authenticity is one of the things Mm -hmm. that we value? 100%. And so our societal corruption of my experiences around trust and or lack of trust, non-existence trust in in interactions now creates for me a paintbrush. And anytime someone comes on my radar, I initially paint them with the brush of they're fake. I'm not sure I could trust this person. What's the catch behind this? What's the catch behind this thing? Yeah. And now we have a society that maybe leans in a direction where we don't trust people off the hopper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's how do we build that trust? What do we have to do? And I hate to use the word. I don't like the word convince. I, I don't like to convince people, but what do we have to do to show people, to prove to people our true meaning behind our actions? How, how do we showcase that? In your introduction, there was something about finding your, your target audience. Now, this is a subject that Teresa and I have argued about a lot. Mm. We're both not down with that idea, you know, I, for whatever reason. But whenever we get advice from other people and coaches, they say, who's your target avatar? Who's this blah, blah, blah. So someone Helm Hill recently, she came on and she told us that her story was where all the gold dust lies within what makes her the coach that she is. And so people that she attracts are people who have been on her path, you know, the last two years or so, a few, few miles down the track. My question is, how do you arrive at high achieving male entrepreneurs as your target audience? That's a really good question. And I recently just came to that realization in the past month or two. I really did not want to choose a niche. Emotional intelligence applies to everyone in every area and aspect of life. It doesn't matter what your career is. It doesn't just doesn't matter. If you are a human being, you need emotional intelligence. But I kept hearing from mentors and other coaches, you need to niche, niche, niche. And I'm like, I went through several niches just to have a niche. And the previous niche I had was people in the tech industry, startups primarily. It didn't feel right. It just felt like I was putting my finger on a map and saying, oh, here's where I want to live, you know, without doing any research or really knowing it, it didn't feel comfortable. I had a coachee reach out to me who was a high achieving male entrepreneur. And I resonated with his struggles and the challenges that he was facing in life. 
I don't know why males, I've always been connected more to men than women in terms of my friends. I get along with men more than I do women. I don't know why. I, I guess I don't care about makeup and clothes. And I know that's very stereotypical, uh, <laughs> right but a lot of, and, and maybe it was where I was from, but that's what many of the girls I was around talked about. They were very vain and which I know men can be vain too, but it was just very surface level. And I like to have deeper conversations. And in my experience, I only had those with men. There was less drama, it seemed. So I really connected with this coachee and I thought I could see me working with similar people. I didn't establish that niche right then and there, but I spoke to a group of men that he was a part of like a mastermind specifically for male entrepreneurs, same demographic, and they had the same problems that he had. And I just felt my heart just gravitate in that direction. So that is how I came to that realization that this is the group of people I want to focus on primarily. So a feeling of resonance. I wonder too, quick question. Were you bullied by girls? Uh, yeah. Now that you mention it, I didn't really think about that, but yeah. Yeah. It was always, you weren't wearing the right clothes, brand name stuff, who you were dating. It was Mm-hmm. just childish things. And another thing was from children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember in middle school going to the school dances. I didn't care about boys at that age in middle school, but these girls would act like they were going to marry the boy that they were dating at the time in middle school. And at every dance, there would always be 10 to 12 girls just sobbing and crying in the bathroom because their boyfriend broke up with them. And I would just roll my eyes and be like, well, you're going to marry him. Like, don't worry about this stuff. I guess I was more mature for my age. And I just never resonated with what many of the girls around me were into. Okay. The name of the game here, trust, earn trust, fully given trust. The difference between show me I can or should trust you versus show me I can't or shouldn't trust you. So some people will go in and require that you earn their Mm -hmm. trust and others will give it freely. Mm -hmm. So if I require that you earn it, basically I'm asking you to deposit into my trust bank multiple times over until I go, look, consistent. I could trust them. Trust is given. And others approach with free trust for everyone and only if you take a withdrawal. And sometimes it could be one massive withdrawal or it can be many small withdrawals. Mm -hmm. And then that person goes, I don't think I can trust you. Mm -hmm. This is what we end up emotionally experiencing. To your example, an emotional experience of someone's not freely trusting me. Right. Why would they? They don't know you. And perhaps his method of trust is one of, I need consistent deposits before I give it. So our ability to approach interactions and acknowledge that social awareness element of I'm feeling something emotionally, but hang on a second, what might be going on for them? What might I not be demonstrating right now that actually allows trust to exist in this moment for them to feel as though I am being authentic? What did I say in the email that easily could have triggered what I know is being produced in society is a corruption of trust? How good does our communication have to be? What I found is it doesn't matter how good it is. There's always going to be people who, based on their experience, based on their interpretation, are going to take it in a different direction. 
That doesn't mean that we can't be more clear in our communication or ask for clarification. But from my experience, and you've probably experienced this as well, we can only do so much. We can make it as foolproof as possible, but somebody will always find a way to misinterpret or misunderstand us because they've built up, like I have in the past, this wall of defense. Like you said, you have to first earn my trust, but that wall is so thick that it's almost impossible to break through unless you're willing to contribute a lot of time and a lot of effort into building that trust. Is it worth it? And especially if we're reaching out to people that are potential prospects, if we took that time for everyone, we would never get anywhere. And I think that's unfortunate because those people who are the hardest to break through to are the ones that need our help the most. But until they're ready... Mm-hmm. until they reach that point. There's that no man's land, right? It's like, you can't reach out to them. They're not reaching out to you. You just have to wait. And that can be difficult. Yeah. There was one word you kept using there, Teresa, there was consistency. And that's something that just struck me as that is a, an easy bridge or well, not easy, but it takes time. But that is something which can sort of supersede all the you know initial first impressions, the, the content, whatever it is you're doing is consistency, either consistently good, consistency bad, consistently average, I can trust that that's their authentic self. So whatever they show up as today, I can benchmark that against. Okay, so my real question. When I was first learning about emotional intelligence from TQ, someone once said to me, emotional intelligence, that's just psychology. You know, (laughs) so seeing as you know both sides of that coin, I wanted to (laughs) see what your uh, impression was from that. And Yeah. So I, I'm not certified in emotional intelligence. I've just done a lot of studying in that area. So I I definitely want to try out the EQ 2.0 though, because I think based on what Teresa's told me, that's a pretty good program and certification. It has a lot to offer. So that's definitely something I want to do in the near future in terms of people saying, oh, that's just psychology. Well, yeah, duh. Like if you break your leg, well, that's just physical health. Like, I just, I don't get it. I don't, why do we see mental health being so ambiguous? Isn't the right word, but I think it's got a negative stigma attached to that as in the past, because we didn't understand the mind, we would send people that had any type of mental disorder to the psych ward. It's hard to break free of that because it is a newer field in medicine. It is just as real as any other science. People are afraid and skeptical of things that they do not understand. But when you really start to bring the mind-body connection into the mix and talk about the chemical reactions and how the brain is structured and how our thoughts create a reality through releasing these neurotransmitters and how that, you know, leads to X, Y, and Z, you show them that you present them with data and information, and then it kind of crystallizes that for them. Whereas before it was just, you know, that elusive fluff I think something that is helpful in that connection between psychology and emotional intelligence, like why they are part of each other is oftentimes when people think emotional intelligence, they use the word emotion, which equals feelings and they go body because that's where I I feel my feelings in my body. How do you know you're angry? Because my blood pressure is up. My heart rate is up. My face is red. (laughs) 
-hmm. I can tell I'm feeling angry and it's physically manifested and then behaviorally manifested. And then when you talk about psychology and talk about how the brain actually works and where it's all processed within the limbic system of the brain, and just because we're connected to our brain, like we're, it's not a separate entity from us. It's not separate. We feel no. it everywhere in our body. It comes directly from our brain, which might be interesting to hear your thoughts on the two terms, brain and mind. When I hear mind, I think of consciousness which scientists still don't understand the mind or consciousness. Is it something that continues to exist after our physical body has stopped working? Is it housed in the brain? So I'm about as experienced and knowledgeable on that as anybody. I feel like your mind is very unique to you and who you are as a person. Past that, I don't know. Um, because our experiences and everything is kind of housed in the brain. Our brain, like you and Reese and I, our brain is structured in the same way. Barring right. in some instances, people have had different types of surgeries or their growth pattern shifted different things. So let's just not talking about those cases. Our brains, we have all the same parts, but our mind operates very differently. And Reese, I so want to hear your thoughts on those two terms. Yes, the mind in terms of, a well, your point about the question about consciousness is one that interests me, obviously. Um, the question of which comes first, consciousness or the, or the mind or the brain. The brain is really an organ from, from the body. The, the mind is something that is fabricated through that, whether it's intellectual mind or ego mind or one of these other different layers. Um, whereas the consciousness for me is something that is ever present, always there, always has been, always will be. And if you believe in the soul kind of idea that that's where the consciousness lives, that's where you can connect with it through the heart. And it's about changing that balance from being brain mind orientated to, to heart orientated, or at least developing a coherence between the two, which might interest you going back to your heart map thing. What I wanted to ask, avoiding the rest of that question. <laughs> You mentioned emotions and feelings and the difference between the two. And I'd, I'd like to ask you both about this, perhaps, but I was watching something the other day and, and the guy was explaining emotion is something that lasts and lingers and perhaps goes back to your feeling of infuriation that, you know, it persisted you know, over a certain length of time, 24 hours, whereas a feeling is something that is more of a bodily function that comes and goes and passes. And perhaps the idea of emotional intelligence is being able to unattach ourselves from that emotion and then prolonging that disease that we have from that emotional feeling and getting more connected to just, just allow it, understand it, acknowledge it, allow it to pass through and not get too caught up in that sensation, getting unstuck from that emotion, which kept you in fury from however long it's been since that email came. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question because for me, emotion and feeling are tied together kind of like the mind and the body. They work together. People say, I feel sad. Well, you could also say that that feeling of sadness is an emotion. I think of emotions, in my opinion, as an energy. So a feeling is something that no one can experience but ourselves. We're the only ones who can feel sadness. But that emotion can carry with it an energy that affects the people around us. So if you've ever stepped into a room and you pick up on someone's vibes, 
could be positive. They, you're attracted to them in a way where it's like, I really want to talk to that person. They just seem like a really fun person to talk to. And I know that's not necessarily an emotion, but it's the state that they are in affects the people around them. And I call it emotional energy. If we are in a pleasant mood, then we may be feeling joy or excitement. And then other people pick up on that. If we're having a bad day, then we can redirect our emotions onto other people and take it out and displace that emotion onto them. And and maybe that's not accurate, but that's the way that I feel about it. A feeling is very personal to you, Mm -hmm. whereas an emotion can be shared with other people. In a very similar vein, that emotions are often intense, but short-lived feelings. And so Mm -hmm. the feeling is the association part with the physical manifestation, the facial expressions, the body language. And while we may both name sad as the emotion we're experiencing, we may physically manifest it a little bit differently. So how we pick up on the cue that we're feeling sad or experiencing sadness is going to be different in how we pay attention to our body. Now, our emotions and feelings have the potential to then roll into and create a mood. Mm -hmm. And a mood is something that lingers sometimes for a while, depending upon how we can pay attention to the conscious or subconscious thinking that's associated with it and unravel the layers of that onion to be able to go, oh, that's why I'm feeling that way. That's why I'm experiencing that emotion. And look at the impact it's having on my mood. Now that I know what it is, I could do something about it and intentionally shift my mood. So when we're talking about, you mentioned earlier, things like mental health and why it's so important in relationship to one's emotional wellness, to one's emotional intelligence is because when we experience mental health spectrum, it's when we're stuck in a mood for many days in a row, the string continues and we can't break that cycle. And some people have strategies and actions to break the cycle and other people require medication and management to help them break the cycle. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference in emotional health spectrum between a diagnosis and being mentally well and a non-diagnosis and being mentally well. Like it's the same thing. It's just someone, one person requires medication to help their management, whereas the other person doesn't. Teresa, can you be my emotional translator? Because you say things so well. You you know how to articulate things so well. I just need to have you in my ear. There needs to be an app, like a Teresa Quinlan articulate for me app. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) Uh, So I'm curious then, going back to the story that you brought for us to be able to go on this exploration with is how did that experience impact your next connection message? Hmm. That's a good question. I was thinking about that today because it initially it made me very hesitant. Like, this is why I don't reach out to people because I always get rejected. (laughs) Oh, there's that Um, word always. uh, I mean, most of the time, yeah, recently. Uh, And and I, I do think the increase for that rejection is because people are skeptical, more and more skeptical now with all these uh, messages. It made me want to do a more personal message, even if it was like a short video message, like, hey, look, 
I know you get scammed or probably get people hitting you up for sales. So if you don't want to reply to me, that's totally fine. Here's what I'm doing. Will you give me the chance to prove that to you and ask for, for them to open the door to have that conversation instead of just kicking it down? I think that's what a lot of people do. Hi, I'm here. Speak to me. <laughs> but it's like, hi, can I speak to you? If not, that's totally fine. Was it a written message? Um, yeah, it, well, the one I sent was a written message going forward. I would test out a short video. I had somebody do that for me and it was great. I was like, oh, they took the time to do a personalized video message for me. It made me feel so good. They said my name and, and I know what they're doing psychologically. I know what they're doing, but it worked and it opened that door to connect. So yes, like these simple things in body language, eye contact, saying somebody's name are two of the biggest things we look for as cues for trust. Yeah. And so when someone offers that in this space, our guard goes down that thick layer of, I have a paintbrush that I'm using because of my experience, which is completely logical response for people mm -hmm. to behave that way is to right. behave guarded if all of their experiences show them that they're really acknowledging their emotional response yeah very natural hashtag not anymore let's throw it up we like to give our listeners some really practical i can do this right now take away action stuff and if you were to give us your best golden nugget around trust, around emotional intelligence, around how we interact and engage with people on social media, what would it be? I would say to get in tune with your gut feeling. Ask yourself, how do I feel when I post that message? Is there any resistance? Do I feel like I'm being true to myself? Get in tune with your gut. Like get in tune with your gut. Yeah. Passion. I don't do anything that doesn't feel right for me. If you're doing something because someone else is doing it and that's what you feel like you need to do, then it's probably not authentic to who you are. And the people that stand out the most are those who separate themselves from the herd. Mm -hmm. And not because it's a strategy or a tactic, but it's because they're being genuine to themselves. Here, here. So true, yeah. You can uh <clears throat> you can't there's no better way of uh, being true to your true self than to listen to your intuition. So I'm glad that you uh included that there. This is the work that Reese does, Brittany, is he helps individuals activate their true self by brick by brick peeling away the stuff that's in the way. I love that. So many social indoctrinations and norms that we just adopt and take on as who we are we attach it to our identity when we don't really know who we are no. and it's so liberating to find yourself every year one step closer so, <laughs> Brittany what is the best way for our listeners and our audience to be able to get in touch with you so it could be on LinkedIn or my website the catalyst and then the number four change uh, dot com and then my full name on LinkedIn Brittany, Nicole, Connor, Savarda. And we will have that in the show notes. So people are like, how do you spell Brittany? Exactly. There's <laughs> probably like what, 12 different ways. Well, and Nicole's not spelled normally. Nor right. is Connor. Got an H in there. What's with all these extra letters? I, I, I told my parents, I was like, what were you doing? What were you thinking? They're like, oh, we wanted you to be unique. I'm like, do you know how many Brittany's there are? 
Thank you so much for sharing your story, yes. your, your personal insights and expanding the conversation for us around trust, emotional intelligence, psychology of emotional intelligence and giving that power nugget. We are about to end our show with our rapid fire Q&A. Are you ready? Oh, I'm going to do my best. Okay. Give it a shot. Number one, which emotion catches you off guard most often? Oh, mm. oh this is supposed to be rapid fire. Uh, calm, calm. Oh. And what do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment? Be present, observe. Lovely. What's next in your personal evolution? Be more self-compassionate. Now, can I just say we're in the presence of like someone who works in psychology and emotional intelligence and your personal evolution is around self-compassion. I think that's so beautiful to know that the journey continues throughout life. It's not, there's no destination here. We keep working on these things. Mm -hmm. what, it's what brings us to the next level. Number four, when your best friend is having a meltdown, what do you say to them? Uh, I'm busy right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I don't have a lot of friends with meltdowns, but usually I just acknowledge what they're feeling and allow them to talk it out. I don't have to say too much. You know, oftentimes we just need someone to hear us, like truly listen. Mm. And last question, in this moment, what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for? I think with emotional intelligence becoming more known and accepted, that hopefully in the upcoming generations that it will be part of our curriculum, working with children and that generations to come will be more in tune with their feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see that a little bit more that younger generations are not going along with the status quo. They are setting their own footing and being more genuine and authentic to who they are. But I do think they need that guidance with emotional intelligence to really make the biggest impact. That's what I'm hopeful for. Beautiful. Thank you so much once again for joining us today on this episode. It was really my appreciate pleasure. It. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, and we asked you a few sort of deep questions there. And um, I really appreciate you, you know, being completely open and, and going wherever we led. So um, I just thought to finish, you know, I know at the start I was being a bit glib and I was saying this guy was a jerk. You don't want to work with him. And having listened to all this, I'm thinking, He's the kind of person who absolutely needs to work with you, who absolutely needs to work on their EQ. So don't give up on that person. Maybe there could be your three, six months down the line. It might be a, an ideal client. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.